Welcome to the Show Up Fitness Podcast, where great personal trainers are made. We are changing the fitness industry one qualified trainer at a time with our in-person and online personal training certification. If you want to become an elite personal trainer, head on over to showupfitness.com. Also, make sure to check out my book, How to Become a Successful Personal Trainer. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. Have a great day and keep showing up. Welcome back to the Show Up Fitness Podcast. Today is episode number 19, and we're going to help you pass the ACPT, the American Council on Exercise, most recent certification, 2023 in seven days. That's right, seven days. Do not waste any more time studying for that. If you cannot get your money back within 30 days, focus on becoming a qualified, certified personal trainer. I'm a little biased. Yes, I'm the belt buckle trainer. I can help anyone pass a textbook certification, but think about it for a second. Is that going to make you qualified? That's why we developed the Show Up Fitness CPT. We have trainers getting hired internationally at the most elite gyms like Lifetime, Equinox, Bay Club, and they're succeeding. Success to me is being able to do what you love and get through that first year's hurdle. 90% of textbook trainers quit within the first year not at Show Up Fitness. So before I go through the seven most important topics and I help break that down for you so you can listen, then you can go check us out on YouTube to look at some of the videos that we have so you can pass it ASAP. We're going to go through a program first. We'd like to start out with a program so you can better understand how to take your clients through a workout that's specific to their needs. So today I had a client in Santa Monica, Big B, and we did a split. If I would have wasted time designing a program for the whole week, I would have been screwed because he showed up and he said, hey, Chris, I got in last night at 1 a.m. I'm super, super tired. And I also want to know if I can come in tomorrow instead of the next day because I'm going out of town. So my thinking goes full body to split routine because he's training back to back. So I designed a CCA based on what he wanted. I said, perfectly all right. What do you want to train today? He said, let's focus on upper body because I worked the Metallica concert last night and my feet are dead. And I was walking around Sophie Stadium. I got over 35,000 steps. So if I would have designed or told him, nope, you can't do that. We have to do legs. What is the likelihood of him sticking with me long term? And this is one of many reasons on why show up fitness trainers are the best. Not only do we charge the most 200 plus per hour, but we help our clients get their goals based on the individual. Ask your client, what do you want? We will provide that. So for today's workout, we focused primarily on upper body, pushing emphasis. We warmed up, went through the 10 checkpoints of movement. Even though we weren't doing low body, I still did some stuff for his ankle, knee, hip, lumbar region, thoracic, cervical, shoulder, elbow, wrist, and then some breathing. We did some thoracic drills because that's really important for pressing optimally. He loves to bench press. So we started out on bench press. We did five total sets, working sets. We got up to a load that he could do three times. The last two sets, sets four and five, we did power. So we took 50% of what his maximal capabilities are and we worked on speed. Power is defined as force times velocity. A lot of lifters who are untrained just go to the gym. I'm guilty of this when I was younger. You try to just one RM every single time. And so within that definition of power, the force is really high, but the velocity is low. And so we took 50%, pause on his chest, we did a dead stop. And then when I would clap reactively, he would push as fast as he could. So now we're working on the velocity side of the equation. 
And we did that for two sets. We complemented the pushing with some pulling by doing three sets of pull-ups eccentrically because you cannot do one yet, three, three, and three. And then we did some pronated rows and added in some toe touches. And so a core exercise one was your bench, core exercise two was the pull-ups, and the last one were his abs. So we still did CCA. As you progress clients, you can just do more sets. So we're doing five in this circuit. The second group, we did incline dumbbells into elevated rows. So we just turned around with the bench at that incline. We did some deep rows, and then we did some more ab work. In the last circuit, we did some chest flies into some BOSU ball push-ups. Yes, you heard the belt buckle trainer say that, BOSU ball push-ups into a run. And we did that for five rounds. Today's workout took 65 minutes. The reason I went a little over, I don't have a client afterwards. When he was done, I walked him out to his car. That is the professionalism that's going to separate you from the average trainer. Scheduled his next appointment, which is tomorrow in the morning. And that is how you do it. You may be thinking, I've been going through this ACE textbook and I haven't read anything about CCA. They don't teach you how to program. That's what we do. We also teach you anatomy. We teach you how to build a book of business. The three biggest follies for personal trainers today, they lack trade skills, which means they don't gain hands-on experience. I just did an Instagram post talking about the most important thing that trainers can do, gain 100 hours of seminars internships, mentorship, so you can ask questions. That's exactly what we do. The second folly is going to be lacking the business skills. All things that we teach you building a book of business by optimizing your streams of revenue, a 60-30-10 split. If you train full-time at a gym, 5 a.m. to 10 p.m., and you're doing 50 sessions a week, yes, you can make $100,000, but you will burn out. That is not sustainable for an entire life. And so that's what we want to do and change at Show Up Fitness. Create the best trainers in the world, but allowing this to be a profession. And that last thing that trainers lack is going to be people skills. Being able to ask questions, learn about your client, say their name, show them a new exercise, get involved as the trainer. That is why my clients keep on showing up. My retention is pretty much 100%. I couldn't tell you the last time I couldn't sell a client sessions, and that's at the rates that we charge. We look at what Equinox and Lifetime are doing, and their trainers are charging up to 175. In my humble opinion, those are not the best trainers in the world. If they're charging 175, we can definitely charge a lot more. That is our market and who we're working with. You have to find out where you want to go. If you want to train to show up fitness, you have to work one year at a corporate gym or equivalent, have an internship with a physical therapist, have a physical therapist part of your team, a registered dietitian as well, and then you go through the vetting process, which will be held by some of the most elite trainers in the world, like Dr. Waterbury, people like Luke Worthington. Those are people who we're bringing in on our team to help us become the best trainers in the world. If you want to work at a lifetime, Equinox, show up in a CPT will get you in the door. If you want to work at an LA Fitness Orange Theory and they specifically say they want an ACE certification, then you need to get your ACE. If you're overseas and they haven't heard of show up fitness, get me on the phone with them. I will tell them what we're doing, how we're getting approved with the NCCA and accredited the United States. We're going through the accreditation process in the UK with reps, also Australia. We are the best certification in fitness. It just takes time to get that ubiquitousness that ACE and NASM have. So let's help you get through this test. That's the most important thing. 
I'm going to break down the seven most important topics, key terms that you need to know, and then page numbers that you should focus on. The first one being the core movement patterns for NASM. They have your bend and lift, which is a squat pattern, a single leg lunge, a push, a pull, and then rotational. The second part is going to be your overactive and underactive muscles. Then the IFT model, which is your functional movement and load. Number four is the overhead squat assessment and the five deviations. When a client compensates, you need to be able to answer the right question based off what they're presenting. You need to know the ACSM risk stratifications. When a client is high risk, moderate, or low, what are the risks and what are the signs and symptoms? You got to know everything about the assessment and how ACE wants you to do it. Soap notes, ORs, stages of change, and last but not least, specific exercises to ACE. They're going to ask you about a dead bug or a bird dog or a plank. They're going to have specific terms. You need to know that. So with the movement patterns, we got to begin with the basics. So start with the planes of motion. A sagittal plane is an imaginary line bisecting the body into right and left halves. That allows for flexion and extension. Think of running, jumping, sprinting, a bicep curl, a lunge, leg press, leg curl. Those are all sagittal plane of motion. Frontal plane is defined by an imaginary line bisecting the body into anterior and posterior halves. Anterior means front side, posterior means back side. Think of your anterior deltoid, it's on the front side of the body, posterior deltoid's on the back side. And this allows for actions such as abduction and adduction, adding to the midline. Think of a pull-up. My humerus, which is my upper arm bone, comes to the midline. Mid-auxiliary is your side of your chest. And then you have a lateral raise, a jumping jack. When you pull your leg out or a band walk, those are all frontal plane. And then transverse is any type of rotation. External rotation, internal rotation, as seen with pronation distortion syndrome. You have internal rotation of the hips, adduction, which would be in the frontal plane at the knees, and then you're going to have eversion at the ankles. So you need to know your planes of motion and exercises. So if they were to ask you, your client is performing a chest fly, what plane of motion is it in? Sagittal, frontal, transverse, or coronal. Coronal is also frontal, so they could try to trick you like that. So the correct answer would be transverse plane of motion. So those are your planes of motion. You need to know those. Second is just your basic orientation. So you heard me say anterior, posterior, lateral. You need to know that terminology. So superior means above, inferior means below. Ipsilateral is same side. So when you're doing a jumping jack, your leg and your arm are doing the same action on the same side. That's ipsilateral. Contralateral is opposite. So think of a bird dog where my right arm is forward, my left leg is behind me, that's contralateral. Don't confuse that with a key term like contraindication, which means you cannot perform that, which means you cannot do that. It's contraindicated for the client. You refer out when in doubt, you get information back from the physician and they say your client has hypertension, which is 140 over 90. We don't want our clients doing A, B, C, or D. That's a contraindication. Some other key terms are concentric, eccentric, isometric, and amortization. And so these are terms used for movement, the latter being a plyometric. So for concentric, think of a basic exercise like a bicep curl. The dumbbell is down by your thigh. When you pull it up, your bicep is flexing at the elbow. You are concentrically accelerating elbow flexion. When you get to the top, which is roughly 160 degrees of range of motion, you will pause isometrically. There's no change of length. 
and then you're going to come down eccentrically. The muscle is lengthening. We are stronger eccentrically, but we also create a lot more damage. In the gym, we call that the negative. The program that I designed earlier, notice how I did three sets of three on the pull-ups. That was the eccentric because my client was not able to do the concentric. If I were to do 10 or 15 reps, way too much damage. He'd be sore for a year or even get a nasty condition like rhabdomyolysis, which is often found in people who are not properly hydrated. They do too much work or like in CrossFit or the military where you begin to piss out your muscle fibers. Very, very serious. I have worked with clients who've gotten rhabdo from working with uneducated certified trainers. That is something that really pisses me off that should not be happening. We're qualified personal trainers and we need to be professional and always looking out for our client's safety. Now let's take a look at a plank, also referred to as like a prone isolated abdominal exercise. You're on the ground, there's no movement that's isometric. If you do a wall sit, that's also isometric. And so they may ask you something like, your client is performing a push-up. Which phase of the exercise would be concentric? The lowering down towards the ground, pausing halfway through, pushing away, or rotating? When the correct answer would be pushing away. Typically, when we want to breathe is the concentric, the part that's the most difficult. So when I do a push-up, is it easier to come down to the ground or push away? When I push away, that's the concentric. When I do a lat pull-down, I pull it to my chest. That's the concentric. Also, frontal plane of motion. When I pull down, that's hard. I want to breathe out. When I come up, I'm going to breathe in. That's going away. And then we have amortization, and that's in between the eccentric and concentric during a plyometric. So as you lower yourself down during a jump, we're not jumping like Tinkerbell. We load our arms behind the body on the descent, and then very rapidly, we fling our arms forward and then we raise them up as we explode up. We do not throw our hands behind us. Find me a volleyball player, a track star, who jumps with their arms behind their body in midair. That is an influencer. That is not a trainer. Do not be Tinkerbell. That middle portion, that is called the amortization phase. I do have to apologize. We are at our Santa Monica gym. The audio is not the best. You may hear some sirens in the back. I apologize, but that's the best that we can do for now. Most importantly, you're getting awesome information. You're going to pass this. The other podcast that we have with special guests and trainers who are doing what you want to do, strength coaches, doctors, physicians, that has better audio. So I do apologize. Don't give us a bad review because of it. I'm trying my best here. You're going to pass. I promise. They're not going to ask you a lot on anatomy. You just need to know the compensations. They may ask you stuff on like type 1 or type 2 muscle fibers. Type 1, think of a marathon runner, typically smaller, more aerobic. Fats are used as the primary fuel source. And then type 2, that's your sprinter, that's your power lifter, your basketball player. More anaerobic, which means without oxygen. It's going to be a fast twitch fiber. It requires carbohydrates for the fuel source. And they fatigue quickly. You're doing an exercise like a squat that is called a closed connect chain exercise because the most distal region, distal means furthest away, proximal means closest to point of origin. So my chest bone, also referred to as the sternum, is very proximal, whereas my carpals, which are the eight bones in my hands, are very distal. When I do a squat, the most distal region being my feet are closed. They're in the ground. They're not moving. When my distal region moves, that's going to be open. So for example, 
look at a leg press or a leg curl or a leg extension and compare it to a squat. My feet are moving, therefore it's open. My feet are closed during the squat. It's a closed kinetic chain exercise. Let's take, for example, a bench press, compare it to a push-up. Which one is open? The bar in my hands are moving during the bench press. When I do a push-up, my hands are locked. That would be closed. When you use your core, it's more closed. When you do a pull-up versus a lat pull-down, both frontal plane of motion, but the pull-up, the most distal region being my hands, are locked. They're not moving. Therefore, it is a closed kinetic chain exercise. A lat pull-down is an open kinetic chain exercise. On page 491, you need to know the movement training in the five primary patterns. So we have bend and lift, which is squat, single leg and lunge, pushing movements, pulling movements, and rotational. You should know the agonist for each one of them. When I do a squat, the agonist at my hip is my glutes, and at my knee are the quads. The synergist will be your hamstrings. And then the abs will be stabilizing the body for a bend and lift and a lunge. A pushing movement, the agonist will be my chest at the humerus because it's going through the transverse plane. And then my elbow, the synergist will be my triceps. And when I pull, when I pull behind my body, the agonist will be my latissimus dorsi. My elbow would be flexing, therefore my biceps brachii would be the synergist. The stabilizers for any type of pushing and pulling will be your rotator cuff muscles. You do not need to know the specific anatomy. At Show Up Fitness, when you test for our CPT, you need to be able to pronunciate and point to where the 17 muscles are around the shoulder, 20 of the lower body, the eight core movement patterns, and design a program on the spot within 15 minutes in front of a panel of coaches. This is going to allow for you to get hired at any gym because you're confident. Being able to program on the spot is huge and managers look for that. These textbooks don't provide that for you. We want you to get hired. We want you to be successful, but you want to get through this textbook. We can help you do that. Keep on listening. One page I also wanted to touch on was 379 in chapter 9, and this is going to be your rep ranges. And then you need to know the sets, the rest intervals, and the intensity. So for general muscular fitness, we're doing one to four sets, eight to 15 reps, two to three minutes of rest, low intensity, 20 to 70%. This will be for your general pop. When grandma, grandma, they start out a workout, they're going to do 15, 12, 10 reps. It's to strengthen the connective tissue, which would be your tendons and ligaments. Ligaments connect bone to bone, tendons connect muscle to bone, and we're working on neuromuscular efficiency. The reason we're going to rest a little longer because your clients are going to be deconditioned, but light loads. For muscular endurance, we're doing two to three sets, more than 12 reps, 30 seconds of rest, about 70% of your 1RM. RM stands for repetition maximum. Then we move into muscular hypertrophy, three to six sets, six to 12 reps, 30 to 90 seconds, and then 65 to 75%. They're not going to ask you like a specific is it 65, 66, 67, 68? It's these ranges. You need to know that for hypertrophy, your client wants to get bigger. That means more volume needs to be put on the individual. The muscles will grow. Actin and myosin, those are the smallest myofilaments of which myosin is larger. Those little suckers, when they grow, that's referred to as hypertrophy. So your client wants to get bigger. Which of the following rest periods would be appropriate for your client for hypertrophy? They're going to say 15 seconds, 60 seconds, two minutes, or three minutes. And the correct answer would be 60 seconds because it's in that interval of 30 to 90. For muscular strength, we're doing less than six reps, resting for two to five minutes, 
one to five reps, which is 85 or more percent of your repetition maximum. Now for power, we have single effort and we have multi-effort. Both are going to be three to five sets, but single effort is going to be one to two reps, resting two to five minutes, but 80 to 90 percent. Multiple effort is going to be three to five reps, and we'll be doing 75 to 85. So I would flashcard that table, which is 912, and just keep on going through those. That's pretty much basic gym rep vocabulary. So one to five is strength, six to 12 hypertrophy, 12 plus is endurance. And then when we go real heavy, we're gonna rest longer. When we do power explosiveness, we also rest longer. All right, and now it's time to own the postural deviations, which is complete hogwash. It's been outdated, debunked, but we still need to know this. Your best bet is to link up with an educated physical therapist and learn more about movement, not scare people and be negative movement. For example, you have upper cross syndrome, you're gonna die, you have to make sure to foam roll and stretch and if you don't, you're gonna get hurt. The evidence does not support that. Follow great people like Dr. Aaron Cabal, he's a chiropractor with a lot of extensive evidence-based knowledge as well as Adam Minkins, our partners at the Prehab Guys, they have over a million followers. Learn from these top evidence-based professionals. But if you need to pass ACE or NASM, you have to know this stuff. So we have lordosis, which is basically you have an anterior tilt of your pelvis. I wear a belt buckle. When I point my belt buckle down, that's an anterior tilt. Kyphosis is rounded shoulders. A flat back is decreased anterior lumbar curve. Then you have a sway back, which is going to be an anterior lumbar curve, as well as a thoracic curve. And then we have scoliosis. That's going to be a lateral curve. You need to know the muscles that are shortened, also referred to as hypertonic or facilitated. Basically, that just means they're tight or inhibited, which is going to be lengthened. So, for example, with lordosis, my hip flexors are going to be overactive or shortened. Whereas my extensors, which would be my glutes, would be underactive or lengthened. We want to foam roll the overactive shortened ones. We want to strengthen the underactive lengthened ones. We have a list of muscles that you just should memorize. And that's what you need to focus on. You need to focus on the ones that are going to be facilitated and the ones that are going to be inhibited. Memorize that and that's how you're going to pass the test. Because, for example, they're going to ask you, which of the following muscles would be facilitated during this exercise or the static posture? And they're going to give you three that are going to be shortened, one that's going to be lengthened. Find and choose the lengthened one for your answer and then move on. I'm not going to spend too much time going over that now because you need to write them out. So reach out to us on Instagram, Show Up Fitness or Show Up Fitness Internship, and we can send you over the overactive, underactive chart. So the main top three are going to be your hip flexors overactive, your gastrocnemius overactive, and your latissimus dorsi being overactive. Underactive is going to be your rhomboid major and minor, your core, and your glutes. Know that and you will pass. The IFT model, Integrated Fitness Training Module, is specific to ACE. You need to know for the cardiorespiratory, you have your base, we have fitness and performance. For muscular training, we have functional, movement, load, and speed. To simplify this, base is the same as functional in the sense it's easy. Fitness is the same as movement. It's more progressed. And lastly, performance, load, and speed. That's for athletes. So ask yourself, would you have your grandma do it? Would you and I do this as 
general fitness or would it be done on an elite athlete? That's how you're going to separate it. Beginning, intermediate, more advanced. For functional training, they're going to focus on establishing and reestablishing more of the postural stuff. So when you see things about kinetic chain, improving endurance, flexibility, that's going to be functional training. You want to focus on progressing the exercises and the volumes. When it gets to movement, that's going to be specific to the patterns. You never want to compromise form or any type of posture, joint stability. You're going to get the five movement patterns and all planes of motion. And then load and speed is going to be specific to things that are fast, endurance, muscular strength, hypertrophy, quickness, speed, agility, power. Anytime you see those words, it's going to be load, speed, and training. Some important exercises you need to know for functional are going to be the quadruple position, which is your bird dog, your cat cow, rocking back and forth. Those are exercises we need to know as well as looking at the FIT principle. So F-I-T-T, frequency, intensity, time, type. Also volume and pattern or progression. You'll definitely see something along those lines. Functional training, we're going to be correcting imbalances. The muscle spindles need to be stretched. You're going to hold that for 30 to 60 seconds. The Golgi tendon needs to be released via foam rolling. You're going to do that for 30 to 60 seconds. You're releasing the fascia, all things you need to know for the ACE test. Sorry you can hear me turning the pages, but this is good stuff. Know the progressions and regressions. So, for example, balance. You're sitting in a chair. Now you're going to lift up your feet. Now you're going to cross your arms and lift up your feet. And then you're going to go to a stability ball. For standing on one leg, you would then progress into Dyna discs, two little circular unstable devices. And then you go to an Eric's pad or a stupid BOSU ball. Got to get on this stuff because that's how you improve balance. Or you just get really freaking strong and that's going to help with balance so much more than unstable surface training. If you want to incorporate it, it's fine. Put it as an accessory. That's what we allow for you to do it. Show up. You do your core movement pattern like a squat into a push-up. And then if you want to balance balance. That's fine. Studies have shown unstable surface training, like getting on a BOSU ball, is inferior to stable surface training. So why are we doing it? That's the stuff that pisses me off. Science shows it's inferior, but then you have all these influencers prancing around, showing off TNA, and you think they know what they're doing because they have a six-pack and big glutes, but they're actually super depressed, unhappy, not making any money. You don't want to be like that. You want to be a successful fitness professional. So focus on being more like a physical therapist and not an influencer. I go on rants like that. I get fired up because I'm passionate about helping change the fitness industry to be respected. Textbooks don't do that. So when you have a client, you start with walking. That's called gait. And then you go into a half lunge or heel the toe. And then you do some type of multitasking, such as standing on one leg, throwing them a ball. So when we get into movement training, you're going to get through all the planes of motion, sagittal, transverse, frontal, and you're going to go heavier. So you're going to get closer to the you know, 65, 75, 80% rep range. And then for load and speed, that's going to be improving power, focusing on the stretch shortening cycle where you have the eccentric, amortization, and then concentric. So for your movement and your baseline, that's going to be eccentric, concentric, and isometric, whereas load and speed that's going to have amortization. For the progressions for speed and quickness, you start with linear, then you progress into lateral, backpedal, rotational, and then crossover and cutting. They will definitely ask you some questions on regressions and progressions for the power and speed. For plyos, start with low intensities, jumping in place, 
progressing into single linear jumps, multi-linear jumps, multi-directional, which would be more planes of motion, hops and bounds, and then the most intense would be depth jumps. Definitely see a question such as, a beginner is gonna be in the load and speed part of the IFT model. How many repetitions would you suggest per session? 80 to 100, 100 to 120, 120 to 140, 150 plus. And for a beginner, on page 498, you need to know for plyometrics, they're doing 80 to 100 for beginning volume. So the exercises are pretty simple. If you're doing ladders, where is that gonna go? That's gonna be load and speed. If you're doing a bench press, where is that gonna go? Movement. If you're doing a plank or a bird dog, that's super functional. I say that sarcastically because everything is functional. If I wanna get stronger biceps and I do bicep curls, that is now functional. We have this functional term like F45, it's sexy, as is toning. So just know if someone comes up to you and a client says, I wanna become more functional, all that means is body weight, less machines, and then when you progress into the more movement patterns, that's where you're gonna go heavier, and then load and speed is gonna be fast, explosive. Now with the deviations that they're gonna focus on, you need to know the subtalar positioning and the femoral rotation that's also referred to as total body pronation, total body supination, or pronation distortion syndrome, where as I said earlier, your hip is going to be internally rotating, your knee is gonna be adducting, and then you're gonna have eversion of the ankle, eversion as an elephant, inversion is how you sprain your ankle, hip adduction is the next one that you're gonna see, also referred to as hip hiking, and then you're gonna have pelvic tilting anteriorly. So if I have a cup of coffee and you pour it forward, your thumb is gonna come up. That is going to be called an anterior pelvic tilt. If you have a cup of coffee and you take a sip or you pour it on yourself, your thumb is coming towards the body. That's a posterior pelvic tilt. Fourth one's gonna be shoulder position and thoracic spine. I like how ACE has six actions of the scapula. NASM only has four, but there's actually eight. So we have elevation, which is like a shrug. Depression is putting your shoulder blades down. Adduction, also referred to as retraction, is when you pull them together. Abduction or protraction of the scapula is when they push away. Upward rotation can be seen when you do a military press concentrically. When you do a pull-up concentrically, that's downward rotation. But you also have what's called an anterior tilt and a posterior tilt. You don't need to know that for ACE. They just want you to focus on the simple stuff. So you need to know what muscles are being associated with the deviations. So for example, look at the leaning tower of Tiza, of Tiza, Pisa, sorry. Sorry, as you can tell, I've never been there before, but if you wanna fly me out there, get me some expensive wine and whiskey, let's be friends. Okay, so if you were the architect and you were just given some ropes and they were to say, fix this, you're gonna pull it back. And so when you see a deviation or compensation as they're called, and your shoulders are falling forward. I call it invisible lat syndrome because it looks like you have a giant back. A lot of dudes in the gym who have tiny legs do this, but it's actually just an anterior tilt. And so if you have that, the muscles that are pulling you forward are the ones that are gonna be facilitated. So we need to work on inhibiting them by foam rolling and stretching, according to ACE. But we wanna strengthen the weak ones. So the inhibited ones that we would want to strengthen would be your mid-back to pull us back. Posterior deltoid, rhomboids, major, minor. The ones that are going to be overactive or tight 
That's going to be your upper trapezius, levator scapula, your pectoralis major, latissimus dorsi. Those are the ones you're going to want to foam roll and stretch to fix the compensation. So let's go over some questions you would see about these compensations. Your client is performing the overhead squat assessment and their arms fall forward. Which of the following muscles do you want to foam roll or stretch? You'd be looking for the latissimus dorsi as an answer. And then a couple questions later, they could ask you, you know, what are the superior chambers of your heart? Those are going to be your atriums. And then they're going to ask you, which phase of the IFT model would you put a bird dog in? And you need to know it's functional. And they're going to come back to a very similar question about arms above the body doing an overhead squat assessment and they fall forward. Now they're going to ask you, which one should you strengthen? So the first one was the facilitation aspect. Now we want to strengthen it. So which muscle we want to strengthen? That's going to be your mid-back. And then they can even ask you later on, what would be an exercise that you would want to do to help with that? And so band pull-aparts or an inverted row. If your client has the deviation of subtalar and they're coming in or pronation distortion, what would be the best exercise to strengthen that? Doing some type of band walks or moving laterally because you are coming in medially. You want to do the opposite to strengthen. Probably the single most important chapter to actually go through would be chapter 10. You don't have to, but you nerds out there, I know you love to be very neurotic and freak yourself out, increase your cortisol levels, don't sleep. To pass a test book certification thing that's going to help you become a trainer. It's not your fault. I love you. I want you to pass this, but it's not going to make you into a great trainer. You need to actually work with people, gain hands-on learning, all things that we will help you with at Shell Fitness. But if you're neurotic and you want to read Chapter 10, have at it. So read Chapter 10 if you want to. Move on to the ACSM wrist stratification. You don't need to read it in the textbook. I would just go to the Google machine, type in ACSM 7th edition wrist stratification and CAD chart. That's coronary artery disease. And then flashcard the hell out of this blue chart. Beginning with age, it's going to be a risk factor for men greater than 45, women for 55. Number two is going to be family history. Having a heart attack or any type of bypass surgery or sudden death before the age of 55 for any brother or pops that you have. For your mother, it's going to be, or sister, less than 65 years of age. So if they have a heart attack and those are the two numbers, then it would be a risk. Number three is cigarette smoking. So if you currently smoke or if you've quit in the last six months, that is going to be a risk. Sedentary lifestyle, not exercising regularly for three days a week, three months, 30 minutes. Obesity would be having a BMI greater than 30 and having a waist girth greater than 40 inches for males or 35 for females. Remember, normal range is 18.5 to 24.9, and it's an equation of kilograms over meters squared. The sixth factor is going to be hypertension, and that's having a high blood pressure greater than 140 systolically, 90 diastolically. Only need to have one of those or if they're taking medication. Number seven is dyslipidemia, which is having high LDLs, low-density lipoproteins, also referred to as lousy, greater than 130, or your healthy ones, referred to as high-density lipoproteins, less than 40. You want to have lower LDLs and higher HDLs for total cholesterol. If it's greater than 200, that would be a risk as well. These are all things that you're going to find by going to the doctor and getting a blood chemistry test. I highly suggest for trainers to understand these because it really separates you from the average trainer who has no idea about these levels when it comes to the blood. The last one is going to be pre-diabetic, 
having a fasting glucose level greater than 100 would put you into a risk factor. There's a negative risk factor as well, which is having your HDLs greater than 60. So what that would look like is your client smokes regularly, but their HDLs are 70. How many risks do they have? That would be zero because cigarette smoking is a risk. That's one. But a negative risk factor is the HDL. So they cross each other out. They're going to ask you a question such as, your client has a BMI of 32, and it's a male who's 63 years old, and their father had a heart attack at age 40. How many risks do they have? Age, family history, and then they're obese. That would be three risks. Anytime a client has more than two risks, two or more, that's a moderate risk stratification. If they have one or less, it's only a low risk stratification. Now, if they have a sign or symptom of coronary artery disease, such as angina, which is chest pain, shortness of breath, tachycardia, which is a resting heart rate greater than 100. If they were to complain of being lightheaded, they have sleeping issues or disturbances referred to as nocturnal dyspnea. Those are going to put them into a high risk stratification. Any of those signs or symptoms, or if a client had coronary, metabolic, or pulmonary disease, that will put them into a high risk stratification. You need a referral for those clients. As I say numerous times, you do not need to read the textbook. Focus on how to get through this ASAP. That's why we have an online class you can ask questions to. We have a study guide. Get through this ASAP. And so if you wanted to read section three, it's going to be all about the assessments. Have at it. It's a waste of time, but you need to know the resting vital signs for heart rate, blood pressure, as I mentioned earlier, the static posture, movement assessments, and then knowing the flexibility tests, balance and core functioning, cardiorespiratory, body comp, and then the fitness stuff that I mentioned earlier. That's all within the process for the assessment. I'm not saying the assessment isn't important, but the way that they do it, it's more fear-mongering based. And so make the assessment enjoyable for the client. That's what you need to ask them is, what do you want? If a client wants an amazing workout and they don't have any health issues and their body moves pretty well, have them sign a waiver and take them through a great workout. Now, if a client has pain, it's a whole different issue. We need to assess the joints, make sure we have proper alignment, eliminate any red flags, and maybe we need to refer out. If they come in and they want to talk a little bit more, you need to be a chameleon as a trainer. What does the client want? Set realistic expectations ask stimulating questions, dress the part, look the part. Don't have a tank top during the assessment with flip-flops on. If you want to be respected as a fitness professional, look and act the part. Communicate properly and deliver one hell of a workout for your client. Now, for this assessment portion, there's a lot of pieces in here that have some merit, but when it comes to following it to a T, I don't suggest that. Obviously, we have our own systems that we use at Show Up Fitness. Now, they could ask you a question that seems like common sense, but you may not realize that that's the answer that the textbook wants. So, for example, when performing the 1RM squat assessment, how much should you increase the weight by per set? And that answer would be 10 to 20% for lower body. For upper body, it's 5 to 10%. They could ask you a question on muscle strength ratios, such as flexion to extension or hamstrings to quadriceps strength ratios. What is that? It's 2 to 3, hamstrings to quads. For the anterior deltoids and the posterior deltoids, it's also two to three. When performing the T-test assessment, which of the following was incorrect? So you sprint forward for 10 yards. You're going to side shuffle for five and touch the cone with your left hand. Then you're going to side shuffle now for 10 yards. 
Then you're going to side shuffle back to the center and then back pedal for 10 yards. So if you didn't know that you're supposed to touch the left cone with your left hand or the right cone with your right hand, or if the client is running back versus back pedaling, you would miss that question. Know your SMART goals, specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, and timely. They will give you scenarios during the assessment. Client wants to lose 15 pounds in three days. Why is this not a SMART goal according to that acronym? And the correct answer would be it's not very realistic. And throughout this podcast, I've touched on the exercise regressions and progressions, but that will be the seventh most important topic. So today, you're not going to pass it just from this podcast. You need to get the guide. You need to get some classes, ask some questions to understand the orientation, specific assessment questions, like the ABC approach, which is ask open-ended questions, break down barriers, collaborate. You need to really focus on rapport, trust, and empathy ACE has their specific words that they're going to be asking you. Put on your ACE hat, pass it, and then move on to becoming a successful personal trainer. That's being able to ask people questions who are doing what you're doing. Hey, Chris, I have a client who's 35 years old and they want to lose fat. They have knee issues. What would the warm-up look like? What would the program look like with the CCA? What would the cool-down look like? What do you do if your client gets lightheaded? Do you have to ask them questions while they're passed out. Um, excuse me, is the answer A, B, C, or D? No, you need to be able to think on the fly. Do you have glucose tablets on hand? What if a client were to pass out? What do you do? These are all things that trainers should be aware of how to handle those situations. And if you're a great trainer, you shouldn't be in those situations because you're respected and you actually charge for your assessment. At Show Up Fitness, we charge 125 to sit down for 90 minutes reviewing your goals and looking at your movement patterns to give you an appropriate, safe, and systematic approach for your goals. At the end of the six-month period that you're working with me, Mrs. Jones, what would you consider success? These are the types of questions that are going to get you to sell at 75 plus percent. I know we use that word in a negative connotation. Think of a car salesman. We think of it as bad, but we are salesmen. I don't think of it as trying to sell something to my client because I'm going to provide a great service and that's going to help you get in the best shape of your life. Get a boyfriend or girlfriend, get a promotion at work, increase your sex drive, increase your confidence. These are things that we're delivering to our clients. I know the value of my product. And as I talk about in my book, How to Become a Successful Personal Trainer, the acronym Help Nick, the confidence is so important. Your clients are buying your confidence. They're investing in themselves because you are confident and you know how to help them get anywhere they want to be, whether if they're pregnant, they have diabetes, torn rotator cuff, labral issues, ankle issues, low back issues. If you're training two people or five people or someone who's 10 and someone who's 70, it doesn't matter. Great trainers like the ones who get their show up fitness CPT, they understand the human body. The average trainer understands their body, and that's exactly why they don't turn their passion for fitness into a career. That's what we want to help you with. Now, once you do get certified and you go through our program, if you've passed your test within seven days, you get access to the Show Fitness CPT for 21 days, and you will see what it's like to learn from the best. We are helping people get placed at the most elite gyms in the world internationally. We just had our first Moroccan student from the continent of Africa. We have show up in the CPTs all throughout the world and they're helping people safely. That's what we want to help you with. 
Now, we can help you as well with the interview process, the assessment, getting hired. And so we are the ones who are going to change the fitness industry. Is that cocky? No, it's confident because the industry's broken. We have too many people who are overweight and obese, and it's only getting worse. Education, the foundation, the fundamentals, overload, the size principles, specific adaptation to impose demand. These are all things that are going to help build your confidence, but it's complicated. So you need to invest into really understanding the fundamentals, anatomy, programming, and you will be successful. I guarantee it. I'll bet you my belt buckle. Hopefully you found today's podcast helpful. Ask any questions that you have. Comment. Give us a five-star rating. Really appreciate your support. And if you can get a refund, get a refund. All right, so what I'm going to do now is I'm going to give you some questions that we have in our study guide that will help you pass the sucker ASAP. Number one, how many calories are in one gram of carbohydrates? Four, seven, nine, or 14? The correct answer would be A, there's seven calories in alcohol, nine calories in fat, four calories per gram per carbs and protein. Which of the following is a catabolic hormone? Catabolic means to break down. Insulin, cortisol, HGH, or testosterone? The correct answer would be cortisol. HGH, testosterone, insulin are all anabolic. 15 reps is roughly what percent of your client's 1RM? 80%, 75%, 70%, or 65%? The correct answer would be D, 65%. 80% is 8 reps, 75% is roughly 12 reps, 1 rep is 100%. Five reps is 85%. Your client is unable to attain 160 degrees of shoulder flexion. What muscle is likely causing this imbalance at the shoulder? A, latissimus dorsi. B, the sternal head of the pectoralis major. C, serratus anterior. Or D, rectus abdominals. The correct answer would be A, latissimus dorsi. Which of the following would be the best dynamic balance test? A, unipedal stance test, B, T-test, C, McGill's torso test, D, Y-balance test. The correct answer would be D, the Y-balance test. Which of the following muscles would be tonic during a push-up if your client's head moves forward? A, lower traps, B, upper traps, C, rhomboids, or D, deep spinal erectors? The correct answer would be B, upper traps. You're going to see a lot of questions like the last one, recognizing overactive or tonic, underactive, or lengthened muscles that need to be strengthened. What form of communication requires trust, attention, and understanding to be effective? A, active listening. B, paraphrasing. C, facial expressions. D, rapport. The correct answer would be A, active listening. And last but not least, you have just finished setting goals with your client and now in the middle of designing your one-month resistance training program. Which stage of the client personal trainer relationship are you in? A, action. B, planning. C, investigation. D, rapport. The correct answer would be B, planning. We have over 150 questions on our study guide. You will pass this exam. We are the teacher's aides, meaning... We're going to tell you what to focus on. And today's podcast gave you those seven topics. And then with these questions, these focus points, use the study guide. We've helped numerous people pass. 
and then get into becoming a qualified, certified show up fitness CPT. Have a great day, y'all. Appreciate your time. And remember, keep showing up.